Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Brad, myself and all the people at Ocean Protect, we've been talking about stormwater runoff and, and, and heavy metal contaminants and, and, and everything that goes down from an, uh, the stormwater drain in, in urban areas. Not a lot of people listen to that, but when you say you're eating plastic and the fish is eating plastic, everyone's like, oh, oh my God, we're eating plastic. Why do you think there's so much attention on plastic and not so much attention on the other things that are washing off our, our, our cities and, and going out to our creeks, rivers and oceans? Why has plastic got the imagination or, or caught the attention of the world? Well, maybe it's because plastic is something that you hold in your hand, that you feel it, that you engage with it. You know, it's your phone, it's your computer, it's the chair you're sitting in, it's the headphones that you're wearing. You know, it's it's part of all these things that we use and it's really, really tangible and visible. And so it's something that resonates with us and that we know we can do something about. And at the same time, you don't look at plastic and say, oh, I'm going to eat that. That seems like food to me as a human. So you're like, what are you talking about? I don't want to be eating plastic. That's not right. That doesn't belong there. And we know about the additives and the um, chemical you know, components and softeners, plasticizers, all those things that are added to plastic that some of which, many of which are known to have toxic containing chemicals in them. At the same time, the best information that we have on plastics and human health really comes from the medical profession and the medical literature. So I would suspect that at least one, if not all of your podcast listeners know of at least one person who has an artificial heart valve, a stint, an artificial hip, an artificial knee, something like that. I personally have two artificial knees. So plastics are valuable. I'm grateful for plastics in my life. I don't want to be eating plastic. You know, I'm happy to operate from the precautionary principle. I'm also not wanting to be hyper reactive. And I want to focus on the things that I feel confident that we can make great changes in or great changes through to really change the game and to really change our relationship with plastic. And so I'm not as concerned about having potentially gotten, you know, a little tiny, teeny 
nano micro bit of fiber that could have some plastic components that I have ingested because absolutely that's happened with me the same as it's happened with all of us, you know, as I am with, you know, the potential for eating things that, you know, we don't need or want to be eating that we don't want in our food chain or in some of the other noxious or toxic chemicals, you know, as you rightly point out, there's a lot of environmental contaminants and hazardous materials that are being washed down and into our stormwater drains. And thank goodness that we have the infrastructure in place in Australia where we're trying to manage and maintain those assets. That's critically important to stop that waste leaking into the environment, whether it's plastic, whether it's metal, whatever those materials may be. They upset our ecosystems. They're not aligned and in balance. And we really need and want as a society to do a better job of managing our waste, I would say. Just just two points on that. So go back to the question that I asked. Do you think it's a public health issue? So what's, what's your answer on that one? No. There isn't evidence to date of significant human harm from some of the amounts and types of plastic that have been shown that people are likely ingesting. That doesn't mean that there isn't harm or potential for harm. We know that plastic has endocrine disrupting hormones. You know, one thing that people would say to look at is overall, since the rise of plastic usage, if you look at the reduction in male sperm count in humans, that has tracked the increase in plastic production and usage. So that's a correlation. It's not causality. Wow. Um, but, you know, if, so are plastics affecting humans? There may not be unequivocal evidence of, you know, death or, you know, that sort of harm to humans. At the same time, there are correlations between, you know, the rise of plastics, pun intended, you know, and the decrease in male sperm count around the world. And they've done some addition, you know, so... It's a tricky question to answer and yep. say like, yes, it's re- resulting in human harm. And it's also one you can't say, no, it's not. Even if the evidence doesn't specifically point to it, it doesn't mean that there still is not an effect. And that's, a, that, that's a real harm. scientist. Is that a good uh, scientific answer? It is because I guess what, what you're saying is, is, it's happening, but we don't have the research in front of us or the data in front of us to to, to really give you an unequivocal answer. Is that really what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, right? and there are some really good labs around the world who are doing some work in that space, and there's new work coming out, you know, like every day, every mm. week, every month that's addressing this issue. You know, even when we do experiments with fish and feed fish plastics and things like that, the typically those experiments are feeding fish plastics that so far exceed the levels that fish would encounter plastic in the quote unquote real world, that it's hard to make some of those extrapolations. Now we have done some experiments even with birds. And what we found is that, you know, there's delayed maturation. So, you know, if it takes a bird a couple days longer to mature, that could have an effect on the population over the lifespan and over the population you know, so we do some experiments with other taxa with other species, and we do see some detrimental effects. We see some changes in gonads and development, not only in the birds that were fed the plastic, but in their offspring. 
and things like that. But can we extrapolate that directly to humans? It's a little bit harder to do. And again, I think it's safe to operate from the precautionary mm. principle and to minimize the type of exposure that we have to, you know, to plastic at the same time, acknowledging that, you know, as I mentioned, heart valves and artificial joints, there is a place for, you know, potentially, if you're willing to take those risks, I am, as I said, I have two artificial knees for having, you know, and using plastics responsibly. Now, that's mm. really different than single use plastics, where you make mm. it, use it, chuck it away. And I think that's where we have most of the plastic mm. waste is in our packaging. Mm. And so really changing the game with those types of items can have a profound difference on the amounts and types of plastic that are used and that are lost into the environment. Because when you look in your stormwater drains, fellas, yeah. Yeah. what kind of items do you see? Yeah, exactly. It's the single use items that you referred to. It's not, it's not artificial knees and hips. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So yeah. It's a great topic of conversation. You could you could have a, a five day conference on whether the <laughs> ocean or waterway plastic is a human health issue. But like Denise has sort of indicated, the the science I guess is out. We don't know, but uh, it, it's a good thing to use the precautionary principle and trying to minimise the amount of plastic going into our waterways and oceans. But what's something that's definitively uh, factual is the impact of uh, plastic on on the ecology of our oceans and waterways. And mm. and a lot of the science that various individuals, including ourselves, refer to, essentially comes out of CSIRO, particularly the work that Denise and her team do. So whilst uh, I guess CSIRO uh, may not be a, a specifically an advocacy group uh, advocating for massive change and, and whatever, they, they certainly are doing a wonderful job in actually address, uh, answering some of the questions that I guess we have had for the last 20 years. You know, how much ocean plastic is, is entering our waterways and oceans? What impact does that have on our uh, ecology? How many seabirds, turtles, et cetera, are, are impacted? And like, as I'm sure Jeremy can attest to, we we give so many presentations around Australia and we always cite your research. Uh, and in the absence of that research, where it's just a couple of guys with an opinion, but with the, the data that comes out of CSIRO and specifically uh, Denise Hardesty is almost always a co-author yeah. of all the papers that we refer to, you know, having that research behind us to, to advocate for that change around ocean plastic and improve waterway pollution uh, mitigation. Yeah, it's it's just so much more effective, and and for that we uh, from the bottom of my heart, I, I certainly thank you and your team for that wonderful research. And, yeah. and certainly in terms of the impact of ocean plastic on our ecology, whilst it might not be, like I said, might not, might not, might not be a human health issue, we do know it has massive impacts. And CSIRO's have actually recently come out and actually. I guess announced a mission to end plastic waste. So do you want to explain to the listeners who might not be familiar with that? What, what is that mission to end plastic waste? Sounds involved? like, sounds like Terminator. I'm going to end it. You know, like it's, it's, it's a pretty big statement. So. so our goal is really to see a 90% reduction and of how much plastic is entering our waterways, our lands, et cetera, by 2025. So it's a pretty big, bold, audacious, ambitious goal. And, you know, we're using a whole suite of approaches to tackle this issue. And it's certainly not a CSIRO only initiative. Mm. Obviously, we have partners such as yourselves, Hobart City Council and other councils around the country. And we're really working up and down the supply chain, not only to stop it from leaking into the environment, but to look at what are different materials that can be used that still have those great characteristics and qualities of plastics, 
without being something that's likely to be lost into the environment. So how do we change the packaging? How do we use data and information to inform policy and decision-making at a big, bold scale? How do we improve recyclability? How do we have best practices and standards in Australia and beyond so that people are buying the product that they think they're buying that has the qualities and characteristics, right? You know, mm -hmm. people are right now buying bio cups because they want to do the right thing. Bio cups end up in our landfill, mm. right? So, you know, how do we have that consistent labeling and marking and how do we change the recycled content in a way that's consistent and transparent and safe? You know, we want food safety, we want food security, we want less food wastage, we want less leakage to the environment. So we're really trying to tackle this problem from a variety of different ways, working with industry, working with government, working with private citizens, to aim to see that 90 or more percent reduction of waste entering our environment, entering our waterways, entering our creeks and streams, entering the ocean. And that, and look, that does seem like a, a massive target. And I, this is, I remember you're referring to this target. I think when our first meeting with uh, you, Denise, you referred to this 90% target by 2025. And I think both Jeremy and myself went, yeah, totally doable. Let's do it. When you look at, <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and again, I'm probably quoting CSIRO research, you know, just by introducing container deposit schemes yep. uh, across various parts of Australia, CSIRO research has demonstrated that that results in a 40% reduction in these items being discarded and ending up in our waterways. So just by a single container deposit scheme. So take your single-use bottle back to the uh, container um, deposit uh, area and you get 10 cents back or something like that. That results in about a 40% reduction in those items being entering our waterways. Again, quoting CSIRO research. And then you look at, okay, what? Okay, that's 40%. We're a little bit uh, closer to 90%. So education alone. And, and the educational resources on the CSIRO website are incredible. Very much science focused, uh, you know, appropriately referenced. But you can imagine a 20% reduction or thereabouts would probably result from improved education and awareness around this ocean plastic. And then you go down the barrel of, okay, what about uh, changing materials, uh, increased circular economy sort of processes? Yeah. And then you look at guys like us, and I guess, you know, we're a proud partner of this uh, mission to end plastic place. And we, we very much focus on stormwater treatment. You know, if we introduce uh, I guess, uh, appropriate assets in our highly urbanized city environments. We can, we know we can achieve massive reductions in the amount of plastic. And just by introducing a, a mandatory maintenance arrangement for these assets. So we know, for example, there's tens, hundreds of thousands of, of, you know, underground garbage bins all across Australia that just don't get maintained. Um, and we know that even if we just made, cleaned out those assets, we'd make a humongous impact to reducing the amount of uh, plastic entering the uh, ocean and waterway environments. So 90% target by 2025, easy, doable. Jeremy. Can we stop calling it maintenance? I mean, for two years now, we've called it maintenance. Uh, it's just not working. People, our listeners are not, you know, it's not maintenance. It's called cleaning your bloody rubbish bin. It's mm. called removing hazardous waste. We call it maintenance and we all laugh. And Denise, you'll, you're sure you've heard heaps of councils around Australia going, oh, we don't have the money to maintain our systems or we don't have this. Stop calling We've got to stop calling maintenance. We've got to call it for what it is. We're removing hazardous waste from entering our creeks, rivers and oceans. And, and, we're, sorry, maintenance is not working. We need to, three of us, stop calling it maintenance. Let's prevent the discharge of hazardous waste into our marine environment. But yeah, look, I, I, I look at all those initiatives 
They're all really easy. Uh, when I say easy, they do need resources and, and money and people and motivation and, and, and wonderful individuals like yourself providing appropriate direction and research and science uh, to back up these um, initiatives. But I look at them and go, they're ready to rock and roll. We could do this tomorrow. If the federal government is serious about ending plastic waste discharge to our ocean and waterway environments, the, the solutions are ready to go right now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think there are a number of solutions that are ready to go. And what we've seen, you know, we have an upcoming waste export ban. And I think that is fundamentally changing the game here in Australia. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity because I see a role for Australia to step up within our own local councils, state governments, and at the federal level, as well as to actually be a regional and global leader Mm. in terms of showing how and what can be done. It's not only Australia that does not have you know, legislative guidance or requirements around asset materials recovery or maintenance or removal or cleaning on a consistent basis. And, you know, we know that changing that will stop the waste that makes it into those assets from running back out of those assets and into our creeks and waterways. And, you know, obviously that is a huge passion of both of you, Mm. you know, as well as Ocean Protect more broadly. And, you know, we know that that's a fundamental place where we can change the game and really stop the waste getting back out there into the environment. And so, you know, that's a big focus for some of the efforts for the mission, including, you know, sensorizing these assets so that we can optimize councils, maintenance or removal routines <laughs> and schedules to increase the safety, to do, to reduce the risk, to stop act, having to act from an emergency response management system, which is when we tend to deal with the waste in our assets during a big stormwater event on an evening or a weekend when there's flooding and somebody has called and reported an issue. You know, we're also using machine learning and artificial intelligence and putting camera traps under rivers and waterways so that we can quantify and identify the amounts and types of trash that are leaking into the environment so that we can figure out those hotspots so that we can have better implementation plans. Like you said, where do we need to have awareness raising? Where do we need to focus on illegal dumping? Where do we need to work better and smarter with local councils who we know are resource limited? How do we get the resources into the right places at the right time so that it's smarter, safer, and more effective in the long run. Let's save money and do things better and smarter that has much better 
social, economic, and environmental outcomes. I'll tell you one thing about being home in, in Wanaka, New Zealand, that really made me proud was uh, the first couple of weeks I'm taking out the recycling and I go back to, to, to grab it the next day and there's literally a note on, on my recycling bin basically saying, you are a really piss poor recycler. We're not happy. And, and, and it's using, um, cameras and, and, and artificial intelligence. I don't know how they do it, but basically as they, they pick it up. And I think there's some councils in, in, in Sydney or in Australia that are doing it. They, they, they know what's in it and they, they, they literally through cameras. I don't know how they do it. If you haven't recycled properly, they go, we're not going to take your waste. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's awesome. You know, if, if you've, how good is that? Like, it's, it's we awesome. have it's awesome. It's like, intelligence to do that today. Yeah. Let's implement it more broadly. And, and, and then, and then you look down the street and you see like, you, you, you're a good recycler. So you look at your neighbor and you say, oh, have you got that stamp on yours? No, you don't. And, <laughs> but no, but it makes you go, geez, have I washed every bottle? Have I, mm-hmm. have, have I, have I done it properly? And, you know, those type of things that using technology to, to give us, you know, or to give us the ability to make better decisions is what Denise is talking about. And it's such a, a, a massive collective of things that we're doing. And I guess that, that leads me to a point. Brad said, you, you said before, Brad, that, that sorrow don't advocate. Now, that is true, but they give people like ourselves and, and other people all around the country, they give us the data to go out and advocate. And that's something that I really, really want to, to thank Denise and everyone at Syro for. You know, look, at the end of the day, Brad and I are a bunch of nuffies, or I don't know if we can say that anymore. But, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, you guys give us the, the data to go out and, and, and spread the message and, and, and go out and, 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 and fulfill people with data that means they can make better decisions. So I guess it leads me to my next point. Why don't you guys advocate? Because uh, you sort of dip your toe in, but you don't. I mean, wh- why is wh- why don't Syro advocate and and get out there and do it? Is is that like a thing from the top, or is it a is it your mana? Is it you know wh- wh- why is that, Denise? So my goal and my role as a scientist is to provide the best available information, like you all said, so it can be used for decision making, and you know the role of advocacy sits in other people's hands. That is their job, their role, their passion. And, you know, it's it's a very valid and incredibly valuable role and position. Within CSIRO, I am part of the federal research organization or institution of this country. So it would be inappropriate for me, you know, and I could and would rightfully lose credibility if I am stepping into the advocacy realm, because it's outside of what's appropriate for me as a scientist. You know, I can tell you what the data says, as you mentioned before, Brad, yep, the data shows that container deposit legislation is effective. With it, we see a substantial, a huge reduction in the amount of beverage containers that are littered into the environment, up to 40% in some of the states and territories. You know, that's my role. It's not for me to tell a state or a council what they should do. It's my role to say, here's the information, the best information that we have, you know, and and it's up to other people, to governments, to individuals, to communities to decide what's right for them in their role in place. It's, you know, so I think for me as a scientist, I don't make those decisions for other people. Hopefully I can, however, arm you, arm citizens, arm the government 
with the best information to make hopefully the smartest decisions with the best information that's out there. Yeah, and you definitely do a great job doing that. One little bit of research uh, that was recently published that I was keen to talk about was the uh, research around the, the reported 14 million tonnes of microplastics on the sea floor that was uh, recently announced. Mm. Do you want to just give people a bit of a sort of a, a summary of what that research actually involved and what the results showed? Well, I think there's a couple key points from that work. So one of the things that we did, so we worked um, – we in the royal sense, it wasn't me doing all of this. As you know, there's a number of people on that paper and a lot of people that contributed to that work. So we went out and sampled deep seabed floor off the Great Australian Bight, up to several hundred kilometers offshore and up to 3,000 meters in depth, right? So like this is wow. a massive undertaking. Mm-hmm. Rent went out with an you know, autonomous underwater vehicle that sampled, took grabs from the seabed floor. We brought those samples back very carefully, making sure that we don't contaminate them. And then we actually look for little itty bitty pieces of plastic, anything five millimeters or smaller in those samples. And because there's such a likelihood of contamination, because our clothing could have fibers that, you know, or polypropylene or have, you know, materials that are not cotton or hemp or natural fibers. So we actually excluded all the fibers from our analyses. And even with the great care and caution that we took and being very, very conservative about our estimates, you know, as you mentioned, when we scale that up to the global seabed floor, we estimate there's, you know, around 14 million tons of microplastics. Now, given that the estimate is that there's about 240,000, you know, tons on the ocean's surface, which has been surveyed much more extensively, that's between say 25 and 35 times more plastic on the seabed floor than is floating on the ocean's surface. And so I think another way to think about that is um, maybe it's between eight and 15 plastic bags full of microplastics for every single meter of coastline around the entire world except for Antarctica. And so if you think about that, you know, that's like bags and bags of plastic that are on the bottom of the ocean floor. That is absolutely staggering. It's just making me uh, so. And look, you know, uh, Denise is referring to the the results being highly conservative, but and they are very much. And and look, the results are scary, but as you indicate, that they're really conservative. To give a, some sort of indication, like for example, I, I saw that you guys only sampled or uh, the first nine centimeters of yep, sediment in, depth. Uh, in the in the in the sediment, and so whatever's below that nine centimeters, you know, who knows? That, that yeah, doesn't that's even, not even included. Include not even included. Yeah. But the numbers, like, it was something like one microplastic per gram of sediment, which is about essentially a thousand microplastic pieces per kilogram of sediment, which is. And this is deep, deep ocean, well yeah, yeah, off the yeah. uh, South Australian coast. You it's think, not oh, I'd be outside a city centre. Like, yeah, yeah wow. it's not like you're looking in Sydney Harbour where there's yeah. lots of people and lots of runoff, you know, or something like that. It's 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 quite a remote area. So I agree with you. It's super confronting, mm. and it's an indication of the ubiquity 
of the, you know, they now call it, you know, not just the Anthropocene era, but the Plasticine yeah. era, you know, that this and, is the Plasticine and, era. And just on this, like, from my mind, it really points to the an analysis of the potential solutions as well. And we've seen a lot of attention around uh, ocean surface cleanup. So the the Boyne Slats uh, ocean cleanup, the, uh, the the sea bin with Pete Galinsky, which is focusing on, I guess, um, harbours and creeks and rivers. but And also more recently, there's this, a bubbler project which blows bubbles in in rivers and hopefully gets floating plastics up to the surface so from my perspective there's a very key focus on ocean you know removing ocean plastic when it's on the surface because as as sort of you've indicated and your research shows uh, the ocean surface plastic is only a very small proportion of the overall plastic load in our oceans you know like you said the majority of it is on the bottom and essentially we need to make more of an effort really to actually stop that plastic from getting into our oceans and waterways in the first place not just this mop and bucket approach of removing it from the surface you know physically stopping it from entering yeah i mean to be honest you could not come up with a more expensive less likely to succeed approach than going out and cleaning up the middle of the oceans it may not be as sexy and it certainly won't cost as much but it will be much more effective to stop it getting out there in the first place. Mm. Having proper infrastructure, having proper gross pollutant traps and stormwater assets that we're able to manage on a regular basis, mm. changing the materials, building for circularity, taking what I call a legacy approach, looking you know, into the future as we design products for today. It's not by going out there and cleaning up the middle of the ocean or even the middle of our rivers that's mm. yeah, but why know, is that? likely to be successful, what, what, Jeremy. What, yeah, why is that? What, why is there so much funding focus on cleanup? Well, I think people love the idea of a sexy silver bullet. It also yep. absolves people and industries and governments of potentially of responsibility. You know, I think, you know, if, hey, if I can pay some money and somebody will go clean it up and then it will be quote unquote gone in a way, that's really different than, okay, we need to change individual community, government, societal, industrial behaviors. That actually has a lot more quote unquote ownership, if you will. And I think the idea of, eh, it's out of sight, it's out of mind is still quite appealing to people. You know, it is everywhere. It is growing all the time exponentially. The amount of plastics that we make, which means the amount of plastics that we use, which means the amount of plastics that we discard, which means the amount of plastics that get lost into the environment. All of that is growing. So if we don't fundamentally rethink our relationship with plastic, if we don't put a price on plastic and treat it as a commodity rather than as waste, then we're going to continue missing the boat and we're going to continue littering and having it leak into the environment with the associated environmental, economic, and social damage that results. What is the key thing that needs to change here to, to mitigate this problem? I think, you know, I know that there's no silver bullet approach. Mm. Okay. There's going to be a number of place, community-based, socially, culturally, environmentally, ecologically appropriate solutions to the problem. At the same time, I think one fundamental game changer would be to put a price on plastics, to treat it as a commodity, to raise the floor of the plastics, you know, which will increase recyclability, which will make sure that there is a stable price on that commodity as the petroleum price fluxes 
due to global markets around the world. And, you know, that will create a value for that product, just like container deposit legislation, right? When we treat those beverage containers as valuable, they get returned. So if we have a price on plastics, whether it's, you know, a single material or thin plastic film, then we will start to see a fundamental change in our relationship with plastics and therefore with the many useful and valuable products that are made from plastics. We'll have to get you back on another next year's show, Denise, because I, I do believe we. Could, I feel as though we're only scratching the surface on your life and times. I, I really think there's an autobiography in the in the in the. In, Nobody in, would in, want to read about me, guys. Oh, it's 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 so <laughs> I'm just next tech and I'll read but it. Look, uh, for, from uh, from my perspective, Denise, all I can say is thank you so much for your time today, but also thank you and your team for the wonderful research uh, that you guys do. It really is effective and highly valuable and so from that perspective i, I really congratulate and thank uh, you and your team for that wonderful work and I, I really hope that uh we we can do more in the future and i can't wait to see what other sort of research and initiatives that come out of csiro i look forward to talking to you gentlemen in the new year i really appreciate the interest in the work that we do and it's heartening to know that it matters and it's able to be used by people that it's understandable that it resonates and hopefully it can help people it can help all of us do things better yeah from from my point of view denise uh, and this is really for me to you i want to say thank you You, you've really become a mentor of mine uh, and brad's i'd I'd imagine the way that you slide through life from a scientific point of view and you collaborate and 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 pull people together and and are very thoughtful and going oh hey you should talk to that person you should talk to that Mm. you've really stirred us on you've you've really made us step up our own game at ocean protect and personally and i just want to say thank you because um the work that you do and not only the work but the the friendships and and the camaraderie that we have it's just amazing without people like you brad and i nothing so look just thank you so much and thanks for coming on our wee show today i know you're, you're super busy and you're probably off to talk to scomo and do all that stuff so thank you so much you you really you you really make us roll so thank you it is my pleasure i so appreciate and value the collaboration and working with you guys you're doing such amazing work it is my privilege to get to work with both of you and jeremy you need to go look after your mom now (laughs) (laughs) for all our listeners (laughs) for all our listeners just quickly i've come home to spend a bit of time with my mom she's uh she's she's pretty ill and i've broken my leg so that's what uh Denise is kindly referring to. I have anyway. to tease him about it, folks. Yeah. You know, I gotta tease him. You're going to now that I know about it. Don't worry about that. Hey, well, thank you so much for your time. And um, what a great way to end uh, 2020 speaking to you. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. And again, I appreciate so much and value the work that you guys do, the passion that you bring to this topic. And I look forward to working together in the years to come for sure. Um. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.